Hi, everyone, and welcome for joining. Um, there have been some buzzwords thrown around in recent years that have received a bad rap in the legal industry, and maybe undeservedly so. Um, certainly with the advent of generative AI, I have heard a lot of people saying, is generative AI the next blockchain, with the assumption that blockchain was not successful and is no longer around or in use. But today we're speaking with a law firm that has found ways to usefully engage with the metaverse and cryptocurrency. So I'm really keen to find out how and why they've done so. I'm joined by Ken Falcon, the managing partner at law firm Falcon Rappaport, and Moish Peltz, a partner and co-chair of the Emerging Technologies and Blockchain Practice Group at Falcon Rappaport. Welcome, both of you. Thank you very much, Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Thanks for having us on. It's a pleasure. Um, Moish, let's actually start with you. So I understand that Falcon Rappaport opened an office in the metaverse. Um, uh, I, perhaps I'm getting that wrong, but I'm curious to know a little bit more about that. Can you explain to listeners what the metaverse is, first of all, because I think there's some confusion around that, and also why the firm decided to engage with it in that way? Yeah, so, you know, our our firm has always thought of itself as you know, being entrepreneurial and and trying new things. And so this was back early in 2021 when, um, you know, blockchain, I think, was still starting to take off in the public consciousness. And we had a lot of clients that were doing various marketing activations or other metaverse-related activities. And we said, hey, we, we see our clients doing this. Why don't we try and figure out how we can make this work for, for us as a law firm? So we ended up um, hiring developers and creating a, a virtual representation of a law firm within Decentraland, which is one of these blockchain-based metaverse platforms. And um, you know, we it, it was fun. We did a few events surrounding that. We, you know, it's not really something that we've ever used for you know serious client work or they you know hosting like a, a real one-on-one <laughs> -on -one client meeting, for example. But it, it's something that you know allowed us to engage with the the blockchain technology, and and demonstrate our ability to to do these things. The met the you know the, the definitionally like what is the metaverse? I think is is still a question we've been trying to answer for a few years. There's there's various and you know definitions or proposed definitions of what that means, but generally it's some notion of a shared uh, virtual space that's um, has some continuity from one. So you, know, you see, you turn off the game, you come back, it's still that same space. So it's persistent and it, you know, it exists across various digital platforms. So it's not tied into, you know, your iPhone or your computer, but it can go across everything and, and interact with different virtual worlds. So, you know, what that means and, and how that's going to shape, you know, the future and what the metaverse looks like five years from now, I don't think we know yet, but um, the only way we can start to figure that out and, and really think about it from a legal perspective and identify the legal risks is to engage and participate. And so that's what we did. I, I, that's really interesting to me that one of the benefits of doing that was to really engage with it and understand it so that you could better advise clients as well and understand the risks involved. I have to say my experience with it comes from my kids playing in games like Roblox or on the Oculus Quest, that kind of thing. Um, did you find it beneficial, Moise? Do you think it's something that you would do again or or was it kind of a one-time thing? Yeah, I, I think it's, it. Th the way we did it was a one-time thing. I think there's going to be 
just additional metaverses, different platforms. You mentioned Roblox, you know, Fortnite. There's all these different platforms that are uh, aspiring metaverses, I guess we can call them. And yeah, as, as as we see additional opportunities that we think are are interesting or fun or we'll, we'll get some good client engagement or whatever it may be, uh, we'll definitely think about, you know, what the next step would be. Fantastic. And I want to move now to the notion of the crypto economy. Um, can you describe that a little bit more and and explain why law firms would want to engage with it? Sure. Um, so I think the crypto economy is is kind of broadly used to describe all different aspects of the the crypto world, right? From the organizations or you know consortiums, right? So, uh, sometimes there is no real organization behind it; just a group of people. Um, that have created their own cryptocurrency using blockchain technology, um, the individual endpoint users who control their own wallets. Um, and there's been this, this kind of big group of service providers that have grown up around them. Um, you know, cryptocurrency exchanges that provide a user interface so people who are less technically savvy can use cryptocurrencies, um, you know, all the way to businesses that want to use this either in an ancillary way related to their business, like a video game company that wants to make it easier for people to spend money. And they know that they have people that have crypto. So you make a token that's exchangeable for, you know, one crypto for another to spend it in your game, um, all the way to businesses where crypto is really the, the core backbone of their business purpose. Um, and you saw this with the rise of, of NFTs, where, you know, taking, for example, Board Ape Yacht Club is probably the most obvious um, you know, example of this where a, um, a you know, smart contract functionality on, on the blockchain allowed a company to, to grow up and have kind of tokenized membership, um, some degree of artistic, uh, you know, license, um, but really, really more of a membership organization than, than anything else. Um, and, and this, it, it's, you know, that, that's like one example. You can pick DeFi where you have lending and borrowing against crypto assets. And it's it, what it comes down to is there is now a whole group of, of, of people and organizations that want to tap into the capital that's currently tied up in crypto and start generating value with it and put that capital to work. Um, and the reason law firms want to get involved in this is that almost all these industries are regulated and these companies all need guidance on how to do this. Um, a lot of these companies, it's people who are who are digital natives and don't really understand the regulatory framework they're coming into and they come, they, they do something and they don't realize that this is a huge legal problem, right? Because they didn't lay the, the foundational framework. Um, and some of those companies are very successful. Um, so, you know, I think there's a there's an obvious role for law firms, both in, in structuring them and then in advising those companies on an ongoing basis and then, you know, helping them with whatever issues arise, just like any other brick and mortar business. Interesting. Let's let's actually go there. So Falcon Rappaport actually has a digital assets practice group. Is that right? Yes. Um. And and Moish, I think you are the your co chair of that practice. Correct. Um. Can, can you talk a little bit about the work of that practice? And um. Obviously, this is your core legal work. So there must be a, a lot of concerns that clients have around this. Um perhaps educate the listeners a little bit about what, what your work looks like in that practice. Yeah. So, you know, I'll start with, you know, Ken and I both got into crypto in, in 2014 in personal capacities. And 
you know, we were just in our professional lives, attorneys, and there wasn't really much overlap between our, our, our crypto lives and our, and our professional lives. And uh, we, we started to notice in around, you know, 2019, 2020, that started to change. Just, we, we got inquiries from, from, you know, potential clients, clients about, you know, how they're integrating whatever new crypto thing into their business. And so it just came up organically with, you know, client conversations that this is something we needed to address. Um, on top of that, our firm is a, is a full service business law firm. So, you know, as a whole, our, our goal is to have, um, you know, different practice groups and in, in various, you know, different, you know, types of practice, but purposely not siloed. They're, they're meant to interact with each other and collaborate to deliver, you know, great client outcomes, just like, you know, we're, we're a mid-sized firm, but we're trying to have that full service, you know, large firm feel, right? So it, for us, it seemed pretty obvious that, you know, we're getting crypto inquiries from lots of different clients. We're, we're meant to be interdisciplinary law firm providing this. So how can we create a practice group that can allow all of our practice groups to practice their own individual practices, whether it's tax, trust in the states, corporate litigation, uh, for me, intellectual property, um, but to do that in a really high level with some crypto component. So that was the, that was the idea here is we're, we're creating a practice group that, that enables all of our other practice groups to, to apply their practice with some sort of crypto issue or crypto layer on top of it. And that, and that was the initial idea. And from there, um, it just kind of took on a life of its own and, you know, just all sorts of, uh, various, uh, entrepreneurs came to us for help with, with what they're working on. And so that's what we've been, uh, that's what we've been doing. Really, really interesting to me. I, I don't have a good sense of how many other firms have a practice of that nature, but I imagine it probably makes you somewhat unique and enables you to serve certain clients that probably would not then be able to go to other law firms for the same types of issues. So do you find that to be a, a good uh, business development driver effectively for the firm? Uh, yes, would be the short answer. Um, and, and I'd say, you know, maybe, you know, four years ago when we started this, there, there weren't a ton of, uh, law firms that did have groups like that, especially, you know, you look at kind of the mid middle market, um, full service firms, I would say there, there, there were, there were not very many. Um, I think that's changing pretty rapidly. I think, I think that did change, especially at the very large firms. I think a lot of them have either a task force or some sort of practice group that, that focuses on this, on this concept. Um, so, but, but it's certainly not universal. And I think depending on the, the firm and the attorneys that are, uh, involved day to day in that practice, it, you know, certainly the, the types of work they're doing and the level of experience, um, can vary. And, uh, in fact, your firm accepts cryptocurrency as a form of payment, which I, uh, makes sense given the practice that you have. Um, do people actually use that as a form of, of currency uh, to pay law firms and to pay you in particular? And uh, can you explain the benefit of accepting cryptocurrency as a form of payment? Yeah, I, I think the benefit is obvious. It's it's just good business to accept money from clients that want to pay you for your legal services in a way that's convenient for them. Um, it certainly varies by client. Some clients have no interest, even if they're in the blockchain industry, they just like, they they have their finances and they want to pay by credit card or wire or whatever it may be. And that's completely fine. Uh, some clients only want to pay in crypto. And uh, we think that's fine too. Like why, why not accommodate both? Um, 
so that that's been our philosophy is just making it easy on our clients to pay in a manner that's convenient to them. Uh, from my perspective, it's just as it's easy as a credit card payment and the, the processing fees are, are lower. So I think it's a win-win for both the firm and the client. Uh, but you know, that's, that's obviously, you know, there, there's risks involved with cryptocurrency. There's risks involved with having a digital asset practice. And those are things you have to be mindful of when doing it. There's, there's also ethical obligations you have to comply with. So, you know, it's, it's not just everyone should just go run and start taking crypto, but you know, I think there's a responsible way to do it. And if you think about it and set it up in the right way, um, it certainly can create benefits for, for both clients and firms. And there's been, I think, a little bit of a misperception around crypto. Uh, for example, that it's used for illegitimate transactions predominantly. And I, partly, I think that's because there have been some fairly significant news stories uh, that people are aware of. And, and that's really what they then know, right? People who don't dig deeper, that's all they know. Can you explain why legitimate law firm clients would want to use it to pay their legal fees? So for a significant number of our clients, it's, you know, it's based on just where where their assets are held or how they like to, to hold their assets. Um, so some of them got into Bitcoin or Ethereum early and they just have a lot of their wealth tied up in crypto. So when they have the opportunity to spend it, this is, you know, that they, they would like to be able to do that more more directly without having to go through an exchange um, to, to get that done. Um, for, for a lot of our clients though, it's, it's less about, you know, we made this big investment and now we have it. So it's just convenient and more about that, like philosophically, right. This is what their business is about. They built their business using smart contract functionality on Ethereum, and they want to be able to pay their bills in Ethereum because this is, you know, it's foundationally the, you know, the basis of what they are doing. Um, and you want to be able to meet your, your clients where, where they are. And also to, to show your own you know, faith to, to a, at least a certain extent in what they're doing. Um, you know, I do think that the the misperception around crypto, I mean, listen, at the, at the beginning of its existence, crypto was used for illegitimate transactions, no question, right? Um, but what bad actors have realized is that crypto is actually a really terrible tool to use for bad actors because it, <laughs> it, it every every Bitcoin contains a, a record of every Bitcoin transaction that preceded it. So if you're a bad actor and you move money from one wallet to another, that record of that transaction exists publicly and is accessible to every law enforcement agency in the world. And it so it's it's insane to use it for that, right? A much cleaner way that that illegitimate businesses are doing business is with cash. Cash is untraceable, right? Um, blockchain is is the opposite. If anything, it's it's much much more traceable than that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think really I think also, point. you know, it it's important to to recognize that uh, I, I'm I'm not even sure it's a misperception, right? Because a lot of the headlines over the past couple of years have been negative in the crypto industry, um, and that's something that you know everyone in the industry is aware of, and, and especially the the good actors uh, and and the the law firms that are trying to advise those people ha have to be cognizant of um, is th there are reasons that there are these perceptions out there. And so part of you know this conversation, right, is is saying th there are positive uses for this. It, it is worth, um, I think, normalizing to some extent. Um, if you look at some of the data, there's there's um, blockchain analytics firms, and they say, you know, yeah, there, there's definitely crime that happens. Crime happens in cash. 
Crime happens on credit cards. Crime happens in crypto, like for sure. But when you look at it on a percentage basis, it's actually pretty low. And then when you start, you know, working, you know, going to conferences and working with clients that have these really amazing, inspiring ideas that they're trying to build and create, all using, you know, blockchain technology, um, it, it gets you. It, it's a really exciting thing to be part of. So, um, yes, there's, there's, I think there's, there's good reasons to be uh, perhaps skeptical or concerned about some of the uses. Um, but I think there's the, the flip side of that is there are really cool things that people are doing that are worth being excited about. And those are things that, you know, we want to be involved in and celebrate and promote and, and you know, do our part as, as their legal advisor, right? Yeah, I think it's it may also just be worth mentioning that a lot, a lot of the negative press about crypto now is it's less about the illegitimate uses, right? Like the the Silk Road and using crypto to buy drugs. It's more about, you know, this this market being so new and service providers being, you know, not, not actually being unregulated, but thinking they're unregulated and regulatory bodies not really having a great grasp of this technology and running into issues where these service providers have significant problems. And it's not, it's nothing inherent in cryptocurrency. It's that there are, there are bad actors, right? You look at, at what happened with, with FTX, um, you know, and, and it's a perfect example of just a situation where you have an immature market um, with a lack of oversight and that's what's dry. And it's 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 more about the fact that we're early than it is about the technology itself. Right. Which all the more reason to have law firms operating in this space, providing guidance and advice. Um, and forgive my ignorance here, but how do you even accept payment in in crypto? I know I know of firms that still can't accept payments in credit card form. Um, I also I, I understand some people um feel that blockchain was not or has not been more successful, partly because it required everyone to be on a distributed network. Are you on a distributed network? Are you? Are there other ways that people can pay using crypto? Sure. So, you know, there, there are several different ways that you can pay us and pay anyone using crypto. You can be an endpoint user, right? I can say, okay, I have my crypto wallet. This is the address. Just send me the, the Bitcoin or the Ethereum and, and I'll receive it. Um, we prefer to use a third party payment processing vendor effectively. Um, you know, it, it comes out of our end of the of the transaction and it's a, a small percentage of what we receive goes through them so that it can be deposited into our bank account as US dollars. Um, but we have had situations where we've taken the cryptocurrency directly um, it, it, it does create a little bit of a, there, there's a certain tension because it's so volatile, right? In, in the, in the client prepays, if they're paying a bill, it's much easier, right? It's, you send me an equivalent amount of crypto. I receive it. If it goes up in value, I win. If it goes down in value, I lose. That's easy. Um, advanced retainer deposits are a little more difficult where someone sends you something that might be worth $10,000 one day. Uh, the next day it's worth $20,000, right? But they paid you when it was worth 10 and, Who's getting the benefit of that as you earn against it hourly? And, you know, and at what point in time do you fix it and say, okay, the, you know, the bill is, is, is due and is paid against. So, um, and in addition to that, that third party um, payment processing service that converts it directly to cash, we also have a, a wallet on a centralized exchange. So where we're not the decentralized user, um, but we're operating through a, a user interface and a, and a platform. Okay, interesting. And I think uh, during our prep call, you had also mentioned that now PayPal and Venmo even offer crypto options, and there are ATMs that specifically 
deal with crypto as well. So I suppose it's becoming just more accessible for people generally, it sounds like. Yeah, that that's right. Um, just over, over the past few years, there's been just a, a huge increase in the number of vendors that are making crypto just part of their ordinary offerings. So for you mentioned PayPal, for example, they launched their own stable coin, which is meant to have the same value as dollars. So if you have $10,000 bill, you send $10,000, 10,000 PayPal dollars, and it it's interchangeable with the US dollar, right? There's also USDC is another US-based, um, you know, stable coin, right? So if you want a, like the problem Ken was mentioning about the volatility in the amounts and fluctuations in, you know, satisfying a, a, an advanced retainer, um, there are types of cryptos that are meant to just hold one-to-one with the dollar. So that could be one solution for that. Um, there are things like ATMs and, and other things, but th- those are, I think, are a little bit more difficult to, you know, for, for a law firm to, to use. But there there are like, um, there's there's credit cards connected to crypto accounts, there's debit cards. So the, as, as a consumer, you could go to Starbucks and, you know, pay for your latte with crypto if that's something you want to do to do without experiencing anything else than just tapping your credit card, like another, you know, any other point of sale. So, you know, there's all, all these things are being integrated into traditional financial systems. Um, and it's just, I, I think that's something we're going to see over the next few years is to continue to ramp up and kind of normalization of that. That's really, really interesting. I, you know, I am, um, I, it sounds to me like other law firms that don't accept it in some ways are kind of shooting themselves in the foot. And one of the things that I think is so interesting from this discussion is both of you talk about this as something that is on the rise and that's growing and evolving. Whereas I think in the legal industry, there's been this kind of sense that, oh, that used to be big and now it's not big anymore. Um, I imagine the fact that you guys are really kind of the definition of innovation. You're moving with your clients, you're aware of what's happening in the industry, and you're ensuring that your firm is equipped to handle the demands of your clients who also are innovative and entrepreneurial. I imagine it probably opens new pathways for you and your firm that you wouldn't otherwise have had if you weren't that kind of open and innovative in your approach. Without a doubt, it's been, you know, a a, a real, you know, for, for us, it was a really significant driver of, um, of business. It was a nice way, you know, when we had, once we established ourselves in the space, traditional businesses that wanted to move into it would go, would come to the, to us, to, they'd come to the law firm and say, we want to move into this space. We know it's regulated. We already have a successful business that we don't want to jeopardize. So how do we, how do we make the, the transition into it? Um, right. And that's really been kind of the niche that we've, we've carved out for ourselves. And we, we're at time, but I have one last question that I really have to ask given the zeitgeist. Um, given you're so innovative, does that translate into other areas? So for example, is your firm then also as a mid-sized firm already experimenting with generative AI? Yes, we are. Um, we're, we're trying to find, similar to crypto, right? Uh, it, the, the topics are different, but I think there's a lot of analogies you can make. Um, we're trying to find the right fit um, we're using it for things like marketing. Uh, we're advising clients on questions they have around, you know, IP and content generation, implementing it into their business. Um, but you know, the, the part that we're excited about, but but not quite running at full speed yet, is using it for like client-facing uh, work product. Um, and that's something I think is going to be a huge game changer for for all law firms uh, once that's more broad, broadly available. 
Um, but it's something that we're also just concerned about, um, you know, the confidentiality and, um, you know, making sure that there's always attorneys kind of reviewing work product and, you know, something doesn't go haywire. So, um, you know, we're, we're excited about it. We're also cautious, um, you know, so cautiously optimistic, I guess you could, you could say, uh, but definitely, you know, trying to implement it as, as quickly as we can responsibly. I love to hear it. Well, listen, this has been super interesting. Thank you both so much for your time. It's just been a delight to speak to such an innovative, open firm. Um, and I wish you the very best of luck for the future. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Moish. Thank you, Nikki. Yep. Thank you, Nikki, for having us on.